How's it going, humans? It's been a little extra time this time, and I apologize for that, but uh, lots of things going on, uh, both in my camp and, and just kind of around the house and whatnot, so... I uh, wanted to make sure that I had time to make the make the episode as clean as all the rest have been. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. It's, uh, it's a discussion that kind of gets away from uh, music this go-round, although, you know, as with everything, music kind of plays into it at, at various points. I won't spend a lot of time here introducing because we do a great deal of that during the course of the actual interview. So I hope you'll sit back and enjoy this one. and. Here we go. Here we go. Check, check. How's that? Got the radio voice going now. I'll let you start by introducing yourself and what your kind of role in the world is uh, from a creative standpoint, and then dig into that a bit and tell us what you do at insane hours of the night and uh, in the rain and on tops of tall mountains and that sort of thing. Uh, so my name is Zach Anesty. Uh, in the film industry, I go by the name Ziggy, which I was named in 2014. I was on a show that had probably eight or nine Zachs, which was probably a first for me. <laughs> and to elude the confusion, somebody said Ziggy to me and it kind of just stuck and took off from there. Gotcha. But I am a second ad on the dga format but my current role is a second second ad assistant director uh for the film industry and what that does is we are basically the assistant to the assistant that runs the unit of a film production and we basically take the brunt end and tell our minions what to do and then they take off and we get it done so you are not in fact a minion but you're I'm not Groo to the assistant. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not Groo yet. Um, I'm not Groo. <laughs> Gorals. All right. So, what was the kind of recent path that led you there? And then we'll dig into your actual past. I kind of realized that it's what I was really good at. So I was just like, mm-hmm. "This is the path I want to take." And it, it's very well known when I set a goal, I I make it my life's mission to complete that goal. And uh, it's kind of like a like a niche of mine, a niche, if you will, uh, to where I I get to a point to where I, I perfect a certain level of skill. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm bored. What can I do next? And then this was the next thing. So I was like, I'm going to go there and perfect that next. Excellent. So what's your what's your end, <laughs> end game? Uh, my end game, I kind of want to hit up the producer side of things. Okay. Either producer or director full-time, like uh, a main film director, because it's been told to me time and time again by producers and directors that I would be a really good fit for both those roles. So I, uh, that's, that's the next big step when, uh, whenever I can get there. Very cool. So what steps do you have to take from here besides just the unbelievable amount of hours to get to that, to get to that point? Uh, I mean, it's a whole, yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of hours, a bunch of networking, a bunch of getting my name out there to people that don't know who I am, doing my own personal projects and, you know, sending them to film festivals and, and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like another five-year excursion to get up there, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely have all the tools available to me to, to make it happen. 
Yeah, and in the grand scheme, man, five years is is tomorrow. Right? Yeah. No, it, it'll fly by. Because come to think of it, like, when you work on a movie, that movie you work on, you work on it for five months, but that movie on a producer aspect or a director aspect has been going on for two years but before you film. Right. And then it goes on for another year after you work on it. A couple of cycles, really. Uh, Yeah. You might be sitting in a chair. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So let's, uh, let's dig then into what led you up to, you know, I met you. um, I'll I'll just go into the history here a little bit. Um, Our uh, first episode, uh, first official episode with the interview with me was guest hosted by uh, Zach's wife, Emily Anesty, who is the co-host along with Zach of the Marvelous Nerdcast, which I misspelled on on my website and then I have now fixed. Um, That's how I met Zach. Um, I had, uh, as you heard in that episode, um, I had been Emily's teacher. We grew a kind of special bond and I gave her away at their wedding and Zach and I have have known each other since before that, really, but a great deal since then. At the time that I met Zach, he was in the Marching Southerners at Jacksonville State University playing the little tiny alto saxophone. The good old days. Yeah. And studying some film, right? I actually, at that point in time, I was into photography. I hadn't even thought about film. Film was more of an accident for me okay, uh, than anything else because I really was good at photography. I, I almost to a point thank Steve Jobs for my career because as do we all <laughs> right <laughs> and uh, when the iPhone came out and they were like oh you can do pretty high quality videos and you can edit them on your phone mm-hmm. like that was just a, a, a an explosion of a thought in my mind I was like oh we should do this and so for fun being in the saxophone section for the Southerners in late 2008, early 2009, anytime we had downtime or we, we were just going off on little escapades and, <laughs> and just making the dumbest videos. So, like we did the, the gallon milk challenge that we <laughs> tell me those are still online. Ah, uh, you know what? I don't think they are. Oh, uh, sad times, sad times indeed, because my my information got hacked and then like a lot of my stuff got deleted so yeah, that, i remember that but yeah we i would just do whatever and just make a video and people were like oh you're actually like really good at this and then it just turned into just like making seasonal videos like all season long i would just anytime we were going to an away game or like alumni weekend or homecoming weekend or whatever I would just make a video in our section and then we would all, I would, I would come home and edit it on my phone and then I would show them at like a, a get together. Right. And that, that was like what our yearly celebration was when I was there. And then somebody showed it to uh, Ken Botterford, the director of the marching Southerners. And then that's when I became the photographer of the Southerners. Hmm. Was that a new position? That was a new position. Like, That's, oh, they, I didn't uh, know that. I thought you, I thought you jumped into that. No. Yeah. So that it was, great. Uh, it was That's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> I jumped into that. I started doing videos of the Southerners, and then my work was getting recognized on YouTube because they would put my videos on the Southerners YouTube page. Sure. 
and seeing it get thousands of views or whatnot. So like people were wondering like, Oh, who put this together? Mm-hmm. And then that kind of got my name out there. And then JSU kind of saw it and was like, we, maybe we should put like a film program together. And then that turned into several conversations. And I met with several professors and I think it was an associate professor title right? is what it was. Uh, and that's the guy, Jeffrey, that came in that they, they, him and I had many talks and I helped make them a film program for the school. Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So like it all like fell on my lap <laughs> as an accident. And then that's when the rule breaking started for me. <laughs> it's just, I, I was still a student and like, also cutting around the the block to to get where i wanted to be in life kind of thing mm-hmm. i was like oh i don't have to be in class but i can help do this i'm there right right yeah <laughs> see i didn't like, i didn't know that i thought I, I i knew that it was a fledgling department but i didn't realize that it literally came to to being uh yeah. almost solely because of you that's pretty cool that's pretty cool well it was me and like probably like eight or nine other people. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. But the spark, the spark was there. Uh, so they definitely use me as a poster child yeah, for, for it, their program. Did it, it, um, well, and I mean, I remember seeing a lot of those, um, kind of, uh, Southerners hype videos and whatnot and thinking that, yeah, that definitely they're right. This guy's got, got the stuff. Is it still kind of, I know that we put together a video for you to go and speak with the students a couple of, was it, God, was that two years ago now? Three years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Um, so, uh, is it still going? It is. Yeah. I, I make it a goal that in my downtime every year, or at least once every other year, I, I go and talk to the kids. That's awesome. And, and tell my career stories and and kind of use it as like a recruitment tool to motivate the kids to see where they're at and see where they can be later on. Very cool. So, well, yeah. now we've reached back to the beginning of JSU when you were playing saxophone in the Southerners. So where are you from? What did you, what, what was little Zach like? Uh, little Zach was a demon child. <laughs> I was always breaking rules, but then I'd come home and I'd be the sweetest kid ever. <laughs> but I grew up in a, a town called Deltona, which always gets confused with Daytona. Right. Uh, it's not much different, but it's an hour apart from each other in Florida. Gotcha. Okay. So it's it's fairly close, but like, I don't know. It's definitely not race country like uh, Daytona is. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a busy, you know, suburbia, Florida kind of thing. Yeah. No, but I, I grew up there with uh, my mom, my dad, and uh, my older sister, and uh, I made all, all my life friends there. I mean, I was there until I was 18 or 17, something like that. It's basically, I, I was the only one out of the group in Florida that left the state for college. Everybody so what caused you to do that? There. I was not very good at test taking. My test taking abilities are not great just because of when I focus on something, I focus on it too long. So 
time would normally run out for me during tests. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I wouldn't finish the tests. And then the state tests that you would have to take to basically be approved to graduate back then, I barely made it by the skin of my teeth, but I passed it. And then when they said you have to take this test to get into all these state colleges or universities and i looked into like what it would take to do that and then i also looked up like prices that it would take to like be able to afford to go to those schools right and uh you basically have to be a higher class citizen to (laughs) be able to afford that so i was like well florida's too expensive for me uh (laughs) so i basically asked my band director at the time who goes by the name Larry Greenwald, he would so often show these videos of the Southerners. Yeah. It was like of seasons he marched back in the day when Southerners was, you know, I guess the doing started. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was when they did uh, Malaguena. Oh yeah. 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 Like their big triangle show that they would do. (laughs) So he would show that video. And I just one day went up to him and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really interested to uh, know where like a really good band program or music program would be for college that I could apply to that's not in the state of Florida. And then he pointed to the video that was playing on the monitor and he's like, you can go to this school. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, cool, I'll check them out. And I applied. I got in first try and then I was at JSU. Well, and the good thing, uh, if anybody's kind of out there looking for a for a school, and I was, I I was fortunate this way with uh, with my master's degree is that uh, Jacksonville State, uh, and and where I went for my master's, Oklahoma State, are two of the least expensive, uh, good institutions in in the country. They're very <laughs> affordable for for the education that you get. I would say so for sure. Yeah. So um, what then? So you you went there specifically to be in the band what led you to photography well that turns into like i wouldn't say like a big dislike of the music program uh it was more so turning into a situation where i wanted to learn a certain style uh in my private lessons okay and then they would refuse to teach that style to me what were you aiming it was just uh i was aiming for like a like a pop culture type like uh, yeah. pop sound and, and instead of just doing classical and they would just force classical on me to where it was like i i full wholeheartedly believe that music will only sound good if you have passion for it yeah yeah and i was starting to lose passion for it because i was like well this song's no fun for me like i don't i don't get why i'm learning to play this song that's super slow and to me it was just boring right and all it was all i was learning was air control and timing that's all i was learning at that time and i was like i i just i'm not having fun anymore the only time i was having fun was when i was playing music in the pet band which was like you know upbeat pop songs it was like pop r&b rock songs that we would be playing and I, that was the most fun I would have. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I really enjoyed playing other than the marching season. Cause the marching shows were a whole lot of fun to play. Yeah. Um, just because that you have to put emotion into it and energy 
into it for like a 15 minute show on a field. And that's where I would get interest to put passion towards it. But when I'm standing there in front of, you know, four judges for the end of the semester playing this really slow piece, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand the point of this. (laughs) So that just turned into just losing interest. I mean, I still love music to this day. I still, I haven't played in a while, but I still want to play. I tell my parents and Emily all the time that I want to get back into it just because not, not for any other reason. I just want to play again. But the photography part of it came in. It took like two people like, man, this is a really good photo. Yeah. And I think, and I think it was just, I don't even remember. I think it was just a photo of, of like a wide shot of the marching band or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then I kind of persuaded my dad to kind of let me go get my own camera, which at the time being a college student would burn several holes in my wallet. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I made that money back just by doing events for people and doing events for the school and the students mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So when my photography picked up and, and I was like, well, let me let me do photography mixed in with some film. And that's actually one of my most popular videos was when uh, Santa, uh, I don't know if you recall the really famous 20J player at JSU that everybody called Santa. No, no. Um, he had passed away and we did a, a show in his honor. And uh, I did a video of one of the rehearsals that we were doing in his honor. And I had like a bunch of photos uh, just fading in and out of him in the border of the frame while the Southerners were still performing. And yeah. that's still to this day, like one of the most popular Southerners videos. That's pretty cool. So refresh me. What, what year did you start college? I started in to late 2008, early 2009, because okay. I graduated in 2008. And then I moved in 2008 and then the season started in 2009. Gotcha. So yeah, that, that was a time that doing popular music in colleges was just starting to take off. Uh, Places like Belmont university and whatnot were doing that. Troy's got a, got a decent program, but it was just starting, starting to take off then. So it, it doesn't surprise me that you ran into that. I think, I think a lot, a lot, a lot of people did back then. It's almost good that that happened so that you kind of found, uh, as you said, your, your niche, if you will. Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, what have your kind of favorite projects been so far? Oh, man. There's so many. <laughs> I would say my, my favorite bigger projects is, has to absolutely be Black Panther. Let's see. Uh, the Avenger movies, Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. And going down to like my TV shows that, that are my favorite. Uh, Loki, definitely. Um, I actually thoroughly enjoyed working on Impractical Jokers, even though it was like a nightmare logistically. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some shows where you're just like, ah, I kind of don't want to be a part of this. I don't want my name on this one, guys. You can just, you put in the names in the credits. You don't have to put my name on in this one. <laughs> Now that's, I mean, I guess that's true in any profession though. Um, yeah. So what, um, you started out as 
well, I, th- I I think I was reading on IMDb that you started out doing a little camera work with with uh, the Left Behind movie. Left Behind, yep, that was uh, where I met my mentor, Artist Robinson. He, uh, <laughs> that's where I said uh, once I helped create the film program at JSU. Uh, that's when the rules were starting to break for me because we did a summer course where a select few of us got into a school van and then drove to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we were there for a whole week. That was the, that was the whole, like, do a summer class for a week and you get full credit kind of thing. Yeah. But what they didn't tell us was when we got there, we were going to take a master class from the director of the current film that they were shooting, the first di- assistant director and the director of photography of the movie that was there. And at the time, we didn't know what it was. And then when they came in, they introduced their themselves and they were like, oh, yeah, we're shooting this movie Left Behind. And I was just sitting there listening to their stories of like what they're known for, like what their most memorable things were. And they were telling these ridiculously cool stories to where, I mean, Vic, Vic Armstrong, the, uh, the director of Left Behind. Mm-hmm. He was Superman's body double <laughs> back oh, in Superman cool. one, two, and three. Man, like just to hear that, I was like, "What?" <laughs> like I'm in a room with this guy right now, and like nobody's freaking out but me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then um, Jack Green, the director of photography, shot Fifty First Dates, was like one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, I refer to and, 10 and Second Tom like, all the time. What's that? I refer to 10 Second Tom all the time. <laughs> yes. So when I'm starting to hear all these stories, I was just like, man, these guys have been around for a minute and they're still loving what they do. And, and this is really cool. But then when an artist came up and he was just being real with everybody, he was just like, listen, you come in, this, you, you better not be coming in for money because that's not where this is going. If you want the experience to see what it takes to get done, to get a movie done, to see what it takes to work with a crew, work with celebrities to get whatever they're acting, like just to get the job done, then you can look into getting in this, in this industry. And then he, he like, that's how he opened it with. And then he started talking to like what shows he's done. And he was working back in who framed Roger Rabbit type days. Yeah. And, and when I heard that, I was like, I want to know everything about this man. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I go to the hotel that night and I just had the, like an epiphany to where I was like, if I leave this place, I'm never going to see these people ever again. Like this is, this is my chance. Yeah. So I went to the school chaperone who was there. Like we had our professor and we had the, a chaperone that basically drove the school van to uh, our trip so i went to him i said listen man is it cool if i borrow the van (laughs) to go to a cvs just to get some supplies and i come right back and i'll bring it back to you and good enough that we were on like a a, like a friendship level to where he trusted me so i was like yeah i was like dude just let me do this and i promise you i won't i won't do anything bad i just i'll be right back so i go to cvs i go buy uh some cdrs to put files on. Uh, I get some printer paper. I buy a portable printer and I go to the hotel room. I print out my resume. I print out uh, on the disc, my college work, like all my, my films that I did for this, for the band. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I put that down and some of my photography portfolio. And that next morning, they were going to let us tour the the stage, the sound stage that they were su- shooting on. Yeah. And they had shown us the day before, like the production office. So I knew where all these guys' offices were. And so we go, they go into tour the sound stage. I was, I did one of those, Hey guys, I'm going to go run to the bathroom real quick. I'll, <laughs> I'll be right back. And during that time I snuck into their work offices and left my resume and my portfolio on each of their desks. And then I ran back to be a part of the, the stage tour. <laughs> and that was the day my life changed. That was, yeah. that was, that was it. That's all it took because when we got back from that trip, I'm in the middle of class and I get my phone rings and my phone like never rings while I'm in class. Cause I mean, I, people know the people I know were in class as well. So it's like my phone never rang while I was in class. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I see, and I don't recognize the number and I pick it up. I step into the hallway. I pick it up and he goes, Hey, this is artist Robinson. Do you have, do you have a free moment? And my heart just like sunk <laughs> to the ground. And of course, I'm in the middle of class, like learning something. And he asks me if I'm busy. I'm like, nah, man, I've got plenty of time. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> and uh, he's like, cool. Um, so just so you know, you're you're pretty much we're going to book you on, on a show for two weeks and we're going to fly you out to L.A. in about two weeks. So are you are you, are you good to do that? And I didn't even ask Emily or my parents. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, man, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, all right, cool. Yeah. Your plane tickets uh, should be in your email and we'll, uh, we'll reach it. We'll reach back out to you. And like, I hung up that phone. I didn't even like realize what just happened. So I go back in the classroom. I gather my things and I said, uh, I have an emergency. I have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I told Emily and I told mom and dad and like you just peed your pants. That was your emergency. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> I could not believe it. And then uh, that was how I got started. And the show I got flown out to work on was divergent. Yeah. Which at the time I had no clue what it was. Cause like I'm yeah, fresh. And, to the film and here we are a few years later and nobody knows what it was. that that's pretty cool so this is true as you as you kind of um well that's it see i didn't know a lot of this stuff that's that's really pretty awesome yeah um so broke a lot of rules to get in the film industry but isn't that i mean the all the great success stories there's some rule breaking along the way somewhere they always say if you want to make it in life you got to steal ideas uh yeah 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 don't reinvent the wheel. But the other thing is, you know, just having the, having the guts to to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to I'm going to print this stuff out and go drop it on their desks, you know. Because I mean, really what have you got to lose? They don't call you. That's it. You know. Yeah. And that was it. That was that was my mindset. I was like if nothing happens, I can say I did this and it'd be a funny story later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um not to get too techy and, and <laughs> And uh, for the listeners, but I'm sure they want to know um, what then were some of the jobs that you did kind of leading up to now when you actually have minions of your own? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that you ran some coffee, but beyond that, what did you do? I, To be honest, people think I'm crazy in this industry because I do not drink coffee. 
yeah, I didn't say you drank it. I said, I'm, I'm sure you ran it. <laughs> like <for> other, <laughs> other people. <laughs> I think my first show, other than Divergent, uh, was Underground. Okay. Which was a show about Harriet Tubman. And they it was like the first show of, about slavery that they would uh, also input like hip hop R&B tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Or for a period piece. And it like really took off. So that was my first show uh, as like my first full-time start to finish staff production. Uh, so I did the first season of that. What was your role on that, <clears throat> on that show? What'd you do? Just a regular production assistant. Which does, because I, I can guarantee you that several of the listeners, because I know right now <laughs> my audience is, um, don't really know what a production assistant does. They certainly don't know what a key grip or a best boy does, but they, but they don't know what a, uh, right. production assistant does. Um, so basically what a production assistant, that's, that's the entry level position for the film industry. Okay. Uh, if you, if you get started in a department, you're usually starting as a production assistant. Okay. And what that does is basically it's like a test period if you if you want to think of it that way. So you have your entry level production assistant who basically becomes the runner. You're getting the coffee orders. You're getting like you're doing the runs to base camp where, you know, they get the actors ready and all the paperwork of, of the production. You're basically running back and forth from base to set with information. And then there's these areas when we shoot called lockups to where you basically lock up the set. To where mm-hmm. you don't let anybody pass you, because if they pass you, then they will end up in the shop. Right. Uh, so you're there to protect the shop, essentially. And then other than that, they're there to just whatever's needed, they're there for. That's what a production assistant kind of does. But then you kind of do that so many times, and then you kind of bump up to a higher level of production assistant. You have your walkie PA, who is what his title is. It's you control the walk talkies for the entire production. Okay. So every, you work with every department and you know, if the grip team needs an extra additional radio for the day, they come to you or vice versa for any other department. Yeah. And usually it, it ranges from like 75 radios or it could be 650 radios that you're kind of handling on, on a regular production. And then that goes from walkie PA to your first team PA, which is the PA that kind of looks over and takes care of the cast. And then you go from first team PA to base camp PA, who basically takes care of the cast getting ready at base camp. And then you go from base camp to key set PA. And the key set PA is kind of like being an additional AD, but then that turns into you're still making PA rate, but you have the most experience amongst the PAs. So that's why you're the key PA. That's essentially what that turns into is that you just have the more experience so that once like if say if somebody calls out sick or someone needs to step away from set, you're able to fill that spot because you know what to do. Sure. So essentially the key set PA is used for anything else, but also learning how to become an assistant director at the same time. Right. So I spent many years in that position. But yeah, that's Underground was my first show there as a entry level. But I also bumped up to Keyset PA 
because that show turned into quite the headache and a lot of people dropped out, which then turned into the entry level person that I was the most experienced one at the time because everybody backed out because it was a stressful show. So I bumped up to set PA, not knowing what I was doing at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Trial by fire, man. And I actually got injured on that show on my feet. My feet, I got permanent foot damage from that show. Man. Yep. How'd that happen? Uh, so being it as a period piece for, you know, in the time of slavery, they shot at a slavery royal museum to where we actually shot in shacks at the museum. Okay. That back in the day, uh, people would live in. Yeah. And the pathway, it was kind of like a pathway through set. And around the set was, you know, the peat rocks Yeah. for like, you know, landscaping or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, these were the same type of rock. Like it was the same type of material as peat rock, but it was like probably in diameter, probably an inch bigger. Okay. And standing on that for six months straight really messed up my feet. I have no doubt about it. <laughs> and uh, I took one step one day and... It was the most pain I have ever felt. And I dropped straight to the ground and I tried to get up and I tried to take another step with my other foot and same thing happened. Mm. So I lost, lost both my feet in the same day. Man. How long did that take? I, you said, you said it still bothers you. How long did it take to kind, yes. of, kind of somewhat get back to normal? Well, the way it was diagnosed was uh, there's like three stages of, they, they called it plantar fasciitis. Right. They said there's three stages of it, and I had the worst stage of it to where the the worst part of it is to where it's permanent, and you have to like continuously take care of it. Yes. Unless you get surgery, which is buku amounts of money. Sure. Uh, so I refuse to get surgery done. Every so often, I mean, I'm I'm usually fine, but there's been times to where like I'm standing on solid ground for you know 15, 16 hours straight. And then my feet start flaring up and then I got to like go sit down and care to my feet. But uh, that's like a big thing in the film industry. A lot of people have that. Oh, I have no doubt when I was a little heavier, uh, would have been around the time, I guess, that I was around the time you were in college and I was teaching Emily and and this and that. Uh, I had pretty severe, not permanent plantar fasciitis. So mm-hmm. I, get, I get what you're saying. So now you're you've kind of dealing with that all all your life. And that's uh. That's no fun because it was terrible when I had it. Oh, yeah. it's When it flares up, it's game over. Like, you, yeah. you can't, like, the worst kind of pain to me is foot pain because yeah. if you can't use your feet, you can't do anything. Well, it's literally, I mean, you know, because it's not a pun, it's literally crippling. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, oof. So, well, it's it's good, though, that it doesn't doesn't bother you all the time. And maybe one day you'll be Spielberg and you can pay for that surgery, you know. <laughs> one of these days, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, and going back to Spielberg, I almost said this earlier. You can also be Spielberg and play in a marching band on on a you know a big movie. I have a really funny story about that. Yeah. So I was on Falcon and Winter Soldier, and uh, I think it was episode two. Uh, but a few weeks into production, I'm like, we're actually we're already shooting. Mm-hmm. Like we've got we've gotten to know the crew. With people asking me, like, where am I from? Like, what school did you go to? And stuff like that. I would talk about my time in Marching Southerners. Right. I, I mean, I talk about it all the time just because of how great of a band it is. Sure. And one day, my boss came up to me. 
I was doing background at the time. I was I was the PA running the background artists, which is to me the most fun position of being a production assistant because you get to be more hands on on what's happening in the scene. Yeah. Um, so they came up to me and they're like, just so you know, we have a marching band coming in next week and uh, we're basically letting you have free reign with it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, yeah, man, marching band's yours. You get to do whatever you want with them. Well, that's fun. And I was, uh, I was like, sick, I'm on it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, on, on the second episode of Falcon War Soldier, I, uh, that marching band's on me. And like my assistants, of course. Yeah, yeah. I assume that was all pre-recorded music. So, did you just do marching? They, well, they they played live just to get the crew and the vibe of it. Sure. But they when they actually shot dialogue, that's when they used the pre-recorded part of it. Right. Um, but for the most part, they played live just because it helped the artists because they played big band style, and yeah, you know, a bunch of flares and dance moves and and whatnot. So I'm, I'm assuming you didn't, you didn't write a lot of that. <sighs> well, so one of my, one of my big moves uh, made the trailer of the show and it made the actual show. Oh, cool. And I told the, the conductor of, or, or the drum major of the, of the band and said, Hey man, I mean, don't you guys usually do like back bends for like a certain amount of time? Or like you do a big jump and then d- into a split. He's like, oh, yeah, dude, we do that all the time. I was like, when the camera's coming up to you and it's about three feet from you, you should do one of your splits. And yeah. uh, he he did it and it, it looked beautiful on, on camera. It looked everybody freaked out about it. <laughs> and then and then it made the trailer. That's too cool. Yeah. Um, it's always a good feeling. Like when I when I have like my hands on something as in like building a scene and that scene makes the trailer or I go to a movie theater and I watch people watch the scenes that I've built and I see their enjoyment that that's like kind of what does it for me. Like if I see people enjoying things that I work on, it just makes me want to keep working on them. It's really, it's a really weird feeling, but it's also a really cool feeling. So staying in the, uh, staying in the show band vein of things, let's say you're backstage of America's got talent and you're talking to Nick Cannon see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're showing that they're showing that uh, reel of how, how bad your life got at one point. What, what is that moment for you? What, what were some obstacles that got in your way? As far as like, it, it, it can be personal. It can be professional. It can be all of the above. Or even uh, if you recall on, you know, um, now that the first episode is aired and, and Zach graciously listened to it. Um, if you'll recall, I even talked about some things that I did that got in my own way. You know, it doesn't matter to me, whatever you felt, feel maybe most proud at this moment of having overcome and, uh, maybe even pushed you along the way. Uh, to be honest, I would say confidence. My confidence levels took a long time to be where they're at to, to, for me to like, be able to, you know, go up to a famous person and be like, Hey man, can you not talk while we're shooting? Cause you're not on this scene. Yeah. Like, like that. It took the longest time because it was just weird. Like, because in my mind, I'm looking at it as if, is is there a name you can drop as the most intimidating person that you've done that with? Tom Cruise. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty intimidating. Although (laughs) he's very short, but very, he's a very angry man. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, but I've worked with Tom 
where he's an angry man, but I've also worked with him where he's just like the coolest guy. Yeah. So yeah. It's like a, it's an attitude adjustment for him. I don't know. It's weird. Um, Aren't we all like that though? Yeah. At times. Yeah. But it, you know, it took, it took a long time. It took a very long time for me to realize that like, cause I'm sitting there thinking about money the whole time. So it's like, if I see a famous person or if I see a producer or a director and I'm just standing there looking at the big picture and I, and I see, I see it as I'm working around millionaires right now. And yeah, I make class like, system. Yeah. I, I make, I make like $12 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like I shouldn't be the one to go up to this person and be like, Hey, stop doing what you're doing because we're, 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 we're rolling right now. Yeah. And, and it just, my confidence levels were just not there. And that's what actually made me struggle getting continuous work as a PA, because I would go from one show and people would think, Oh, this guy's a little skittish. Cause you know, he, he doesn't have the confidence levels. Yeah. And then I, I don't remember. I, don't remember what show it was where I was just like, you know what? These people don't know who I am. I can just kind of just recreate myself and just be a completely different person. Yeah. And that's, I did that one show and it, I've, I've blown up ever since to where I just kept working. Yeah. So kind of taking, taking some threads here, I think having the guts to step out of your comfort zone, maybe and throw those packages on those desks, you know, building, Mm -hmm deciding at some point, Hey, it really doesn't matter who these guys are or who I am. I can be whoever I need to be because they don't know me. And really well, those, heard, those are similar experiences. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, I think it was an actor I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I want to say it was somebody on the show rectify that I worked on. Um, that's a, it's a well-known show, but it's also like a slow pacing show. Sure. Lots, a lot of interest for people. But anyways, I think it was somebody on that show that one of the actors were talking about meeting a fan on the streets. Like when they're not working, they're mm-hmm. you know out in public and somebody comes up to them and freaks out. One of the other actors asked some, one of the other actors, you know, how do you treat fans when you, when you come across them? And he's like, listen, man, if as long as they're treating me like I'm a person, I'll do whatever they want. You want me to sign something? You want me to call your mom and leave a voicemail? Or like, like I'll do whatever you want, just as long as you treat me as a person. And I think once that clicked in my mind that like, oh, these people just want to be treated like people instead of celebrities. Yeah. I, ever since then, I, <laughs> I, I give them crap as much as I give my best friends crap now. Sure. Oh, that's one of the things, you know, and I'm not even in the position that you're in where, you know, you're actually getting to see these people all the time. But even as as somebody who just enjoys what they do and I do what I do as a composer and whatnot, it always strikes me as odd for people to say celebrities shouldn't be talking about politics or, you know, what is this, you know, whatever. To me, that is asinine. I mean, they're humans, too, and they live in the same country that we do. And, you know, if they do, yeah, um, they live in their country, you know, they can talk about politics there or whatever. They're just humans. And I think that's that's something that we we it's almost like we've we've lost sight of that more since the internet hit, which is almost counterintuitive because there's so much easier to get to now, you know, it's, oh, absolutely. I've, had, I've had little short conversations with several people online that I never would have dreamed of, of, of doing that with, you know? And yeah, it's, exactly. My favorite part is like when you see the human 
side of celebrities. Yeah. And my my most like memorable moments are are talking with big time actors that just want to talk about like their families and they talk to me and like we I talk about Emily and Bailey all the time. Yeah. And like we share we share funny like baby stories, we share of like funny husband and wife stories and like just whatever and and that those are like the most memorable cuz like at the same time they're memorable to me and then at the same time in the back of my head I'm like nobody else can say they talk to this person about their parenting skills. <laughs> right. I just find that completely funny to me. I don't know. It's it, like I mean it's it it's me, real it but you know Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> It's but you so know what? She probably remembers that too, you know, because that exactly. those are the things that I think are, you know, it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. I think those are the things that are the most important to us as individuals is those little small moments. Those yeah. are the things that make us who we are. It's not about how much money we're making or how big the screen is we're on, you know, mm-hmm. it's about, it's about the small things. So, I mean, that's a way that I, I mean, for me, um, and having known you for a long time and, and knowing Emily like I do and, and you guys' hearts and minds, I think that you're you're in a position to go really far because people are going to remember you for being who you are and not necessarily for your skill set. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I set out to do is actually there's a lot of people in the film industry. I bring this up all the time to where they, you're going to come across an asshole in the film industry it's just without a doubt that's what yeah what you get because back in the olden days that's what they were trained to do and that's what they were trained to be like right that has carried over for generations yeah but i have a very chill like aspect and mindset and and work ethic i mean if there's something important that needs to be done it needs to be done fast i'm on it Mm-hmm. But for like 90% of my time, I'm very calm. If something goes awry, I stay calm. Uh, if something pisses me off, it has to piss me off for quite some time for me to like step into like move into action to get rid of what's happening. Yeah. But for the most part, I am a very calm person. And it has been said to my face that I am too calm for the film industry. And I'm like, first off, what that's that's just the wrong mindset to have of course every time i get like a thank you card for your hard work it's always thank you for your hard work and for always being so chill yeah like being like when i see stuff like that it leads me to believe that what i'm doing is right and correct and at the same time people will hire me back for being who I am sure instead of what I can do. So I, I find that incredibly important and, and incredibly expi- inspiring and not expiring, inspiring. Um, do you, do you <laughs> keep like a mood board of those things to remind yourself? I don't, I just, uh, I just remember how I was treated yeah. when I, when I first got in. And uh, ever since I, I, I tell myself, I'm not going to be this guy. I can tell you that. I've had people tell me that over and over. You get those little cards or emails or whatever, you know, print it out, stick it on something where you can see it when you need it. And I never do it. I, I just, I'm so bad about things like that. Well, it's all currently sitting behind me on my stand. That, well, there you go. 
So you do. It's it's you know maybe in a disorganized fashion, but it's all there. You can see it when yeah. you see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really cool. So as a as a creative person, as you're moving forward to the day that you, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know will probably be in the director's chair even stepping up to producer you'll probably go through being a director for a bit um uh what what are things that as you're creating day to day and even in your current roles you have to do some creativity uh it's not just grunt work so what do you do to get past creative blocks or to get um your creative juices flowing um a good tactic for me is to never let them stop flowing. And what I mean by that is I, I use everything as research, whether it be watching a movie or watching a documentary or going out and people watching yeah. or, or going out and like ordering food and like seeing what that food looks like, how it's plated or how, you know, I could play a, a video game and, and see how the story unfolds and watch camera angles in that game or just watch a movie that's well known that you've watched as a kid and look at it in a creative way instead of like a fresh mind kind of way. Mm -hmm. And Emily, I'll tell you, I watching a movie in our house is not, <laughs> it's not like watching a movie with your friend or, or whatnot. No, I could imagine that you're 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 <laughs> looking at every little detail because I'm doing the same thing with the score, right? So yeah. we, we would be terrible to watch a movie with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some days, I mean, I I have a big rule that there's no talking during a movie. But once I watch it once, and then I watch it with somebody, yeah, that rule is out the door, and I'm just <laughs> tearing it a new one. Be like the the self indulgent version of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. <laughs> I mean, I've got Emily now because when we first met, uh, her knowledge of of like film history was was very slim to none. Sure. And, and oh, I know I used to pick on her about it. <laughs> and then now, now she can pick out a voice. It could be a sentence, and she'd be like, "I know whose voice that is." Yeah. And I'm like, what? How did you figure that out? And I'm, I'm, she stumps me all the time now because I'm just like, how did you hear that? And she'll look it up and she'll be like, yeah, sure enough, it's this person. Uh, it's probably, like, I always attribute that because I have a, I have a similar, um, that she spent so much time in intense study of music. So she hears. Yeah. And I, and she's really good with faces. Yeah. She's very good with faces. Like even if it's like a fully like prosthetic makeup, she's like, Oh, it's this person. Yeah, but not Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. That's insane. <laughs> that was you, oh look, so have you watched the little five? I I haven't. I need to. Oh, yeah. I heard it was good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, I heard it was really good. So I need, I need to check it out. Just like Colin Farrell looks nothing like the actor. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. Is there anything that this is kind of the thing that I'm not making the whole podcast about now, but I really want to talk about it still. Is there anything that you see as a thing kind of in society or in the world at large that, um, that is something you're passionate about, uh, using your platform going forward in, in, in dealing with even on a, on a small personal level? 
Um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is making what things need to be instead of changing them. For instance, like when you, for the Fantastic Four series, the reason why that's been failing uh, as a movie is because they cast politically instead of what it should be. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, Politics in film are the most annoying thing to come across because it could be a, it could be a project to where it would demand a lot from you, but then you get what, what they call political hires. Yeah. And it would be this person who just comes in and it could be, you know, one of the actor's kids or one of the producer kid, or it could be like a brother of the director or somebody. Yeah. And they, and they come in and they're, they literally have no idea what to do. And then you have to take the time to train them within an hour and then still make a big stunt scene happen. Yeah. So that's, that's where I kind of, that's like my mind always goes to when that happens is like, this doesn't need to happen. If you want to have your kid get in the industry, have them get in on an entry level show, like a, a smaller TV show or an indie movie, and then build their experiences up from there instead of dropping them on like a major box office hit with no experience. That's how people get hurt on a film set. If with no experienced people on the set. Sure. And that, that irks me so much when I, when I come across that people, I, I make sure the producers know I'm pissed off about it because that's, that's another thing when. So does that play? I know that you, you've traditionally been, uh, pretty pretty passionate about safety concerns yes. on on movie sets and that sort of thing. Is that mm-hmm. are those intertwined concepts? Yes, absolutely. Because you could have a kid that's fresh out of high school. Because it's happened to me. I we've had kids fresh out of high school. I have no idea what's going on, and we're we've got explosions going on. We've mm-hmm. got we've got picture cars speeding by. And they're sitting there on their cell phone taking selfies <laughs> while it's ha- and it's like it's like no man like that this is where errors happen like because of the decisions you guys made to hire this political hire you're making it harder on us mm-hmm. because of it and I just hate that I hate that so much because <laughs> I've seen things go wrong. And things that I I wish I did not see go wrong, but I've seen it happen and it's not, it's not a pretty sight. Yeah. Well, and I know that hasn't been that long since there was uh, a a great deal in the news about uh, the long hours and that sort of thing uh, as well Mm -hmm. on, on movie sets. So, and you know, things like seeing things like this, this thing with rust, you know? Um, Yeah. It's a shame. It's the, it seems like, I, I guess, really, if you look at the bigger picture, most larger industries, whether it be Amazon or the movie industry or whatever, have some some serious things to kind of, kind of do some soul searching about and get right so that they don't have injuries and don't have, you know, 
people sitting at home with no food and, and all sorts yeah. of various and sundry things. And, um, it's, it's upsetting in a, in a sense, if you want to sit back and look at it, that something that's supposed to bring us so much joy as to go and see a great movie at the, at the, at the cinema, um, mm-hmm. that, that <laughs> there might've been something less than kosher going into that movie, but it is the way of the world, I guess. I want to say when, when I first started my longest day, of work was 23 and a half hours it's insane yeah insane for a movie (laughs) for for that was for a tv show for a tv wow for a tv show Uh, at an early day you'd come in they would provide breakfast for you yeah and then six six hours later they would provide lunch for you yeah and then you would work the rest of the day and go home back then you'd come and get breakfast Six hours later, you would get lunch. Six hours later, you would get dinner. Uh, and then four and a half hours later, you would get like a snack. And then uh, you would work until they called rat. And see, it's not like you're in an emergency room trying to save lives. You know, right. I say that saying all the time that we're not curing cancer here, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. If we can't get it today, we'll get it tomorrow. Like, Yeah, because... I mean, as important as I, as I do believe the arts are, you know, there's, there's a line when you're, when you're making the things un, unsafe for, uh, and uh, unconscionable work environment, you know, for, for people who are just there to make, make entertainment for someone, you know? Yeah. And Emily, I mean, God forbid she's, she's a trooper, but she started to notice it early on. Uh, Cause back then we were living in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we just had a super, I, we had an apartment probably about the size of this room. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I would come home on like fumes of energy mm-hmm. to where I would barely make it into our apartment complex. But then when I did, I would get to the uh, parking spot and like the parking lever in my car would act as like an off switch so i'd throw the second i throw my car in park i would just knock out in my car mm-hmm. and then like i'd wake up to a neighbor or emily knocking on the window that's crazy yeah that's how, that's how rough it was yeah i know it's not perfect because we talked just a little while back about still working long hours but it's maybe not as bad as all that yeah that's rough Things things are better today than they were when I first started. Uh, and that's good. It's a relatively to... short time uh, in the in, yeah in the grand scheme of things. So so things yeah are getting better fast, but they're not getting better fast enough. Right. But they're still yeah, like you said, not fast enough. Right. But they, I mean, it is what it is at this point because entertainment's never going to die. No. So it's always going to be there. That's why I'm jumping into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two two industries that are never going to die, and that's medical and entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Those industries will never never going to die. Well, all right. Well, uh, look, I've got to kind of corral things and and get ready for our our last day before spring break. Thanks for having me. It's later. Thanks for being had. <laughs> oh, of course. Later, dude. Hi, man. Bye. See ya. What a great discussion with an old friend, huh? It's really been very cool to watch all of this happen. Um, it sounds a little bit at times during the course of his description of everything like 
the gods just kind of smiled on him and he fell into some of these things. And I think that that's not the takeaway here, obviously. Um, he's an incredibly hard worker. I've, I've watched he and Emily go through all sorts of things to get to the point that they're at now. And I'm so incredibly proud to, to know them and be a part of their lives. He's going somewhere. He's definitely going somewhere. So keep your eye out and uh, you're going to watch that name go up and up and up the credits on the end of the movie or TV show. I think coming up for him in the near future is uh, kind of the biggest thing and the thing that he is most excited about is the Miss Marvel uh, TV series, which I am also excited to watch. I mean, not that I'm a nut for all the, especially the Marvel TV series. I love the movies, but the TV series are great. Um, and and Miss Marvel is is one that I've been kind of waiting for. I like that character a lot. Tune in next week when I talk about I don't know a phrase that kind of popped out of my mouth one day and and stuck. Expect, don't accept. They're two words that sound similar. Uh, this is not like fun versus joy where they are similar. Uh, these two words are simply words that might rhyme in a song, but I found that the difference between the two can be quite large when looking at uh, expectations for yourself, for a group that you're working with or whatever. So that it's something that's kind of uh, near and dear to me. And I, it's something that I have to remind myself of a lot. So looking forward to speaking about that and we'll see you soon. As always, if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, concerns, issues, or confessions, you can email me at MikeCaseyComposer at iCloud.com, or you can find me on the socials at at MikeCaseyComposer, or you can go to my website at MikeCaseyComposer.com. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.